Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 68. This class has been sponsored Le'elui Nishmat Esther Batsara Ms. Eileen Maman Aleha Shalom by her family Ruach Hashem Tanihainu Beganaydan also in memory of Sarah Faham Shalom and also in memory of Josan Aleha Shalom Yosef Ben Sarah by his family may our class be Le'elui Nishmatam to go higher and higher in the higher worlds. Amen. 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 We have been discussing the subject of De'aga, the subject of worry. And we have been taking the course, the advice of Shalom HaMelech. With the help of our rabbis to understand what he is saying. We go back to the same pasuk that we've been learning for the last number of classes. So it says, ish. But the Gemara says, So we gave a few different explanations. The Gemara says, Get it out of his mind, get busy. The Gemara says, Talk it out with others. We spoke who the others are. We spoke about a haver. We spoke about a rav, a rabbi, a mentor. Today I'd like to share with you a novel interpretation. It's not what the Gemara says, but a great rabbi, he's an admor from Alexander, he says the following. Yesihena la'aherim. He brings the Gemara and Masechet Berachot. The Gemara quotes a pasuk that describes Yitzhak. He is the source of our Tefilat Minha. Where do we see that Yitzhak prayed Minha? So the pasuk says, Vayetze Yitzhak. Yitzhak went out, Lasuach Basadeh. Lasuah means to speak. Lifnot arev, towards the evening. The Gemara says, what does it mean, lasuah? What was he doing? Who was he speaking to? So the Gemara says, en siha ela tefila. When we see siha in the Torah, it means prayer. Where do we see that? The Gemara brings a pasuk in Tehilim. Tefillah le'ani ki atop, a prayer of a'ani, ve'lifne Hashem yishpoch siho. In front of Hashem, he pours his words. The word siyah is used again. So the Gemara says, when it says that Yitzhak went out lasuah basadeh, he went to pray. And that's why we pray minha. So what does it mean? The great rabbi says, Yesihena la aherim. He says, Yesihena is lashon tefila. He prays. A person has de'agot. A person has worries. Let him stop praying. 
What's le'aharim? We pray to Hashem. What does it mean? You pray to others. So he says, Yesiyah means, Yitpalel bishvil aharim. He should pray for others. What is this idea to pray for others? Where does it come from? What does it do? What is its power? When you have de'aga, you have things going on in your life that are worrying you, upsetting you, giving you all types of anxiety. Find people to pray for. We must explain what that means. We know what Hazal tell us that whoever prays for his friend and he needs the same Yeshua, they get answered first. That needs a lot of explanation. What is the source of that? What's behind all of that? So I'd like to share with you a famous story, but we'll go a little bit more in depth in the story. Torah reports that Abraham Avinu went to a city called Gerar in Pelishtim and he took his wife with him. Pasuk says that when Abraham got there and people asked him, who is this woman? He told them it's his sister. He was afraid. He says there's no Yirat Shamayim in this place. So he didn't want to say it's his wife. He was afraid they would kill him to take his wife. So he told them she's my sister. This was a very special woman. She was an attractive woman. She was a regal woman. She was not a regular person. Abraham Avinu was neither a regular person. So when his sister came to town, automatically they were thinking of royalty. They were thinking of the king himself. They rushed to Abimelech to tell him, you won't believe who's in our country, who's in our city. You have Abraham Avinu, the great Abraham. Abraham was not a, was a very famous man. Ephron told Abraham, Nesi Elohim atabetochenu. You're a prince of God in our midst. Abraham was not a private man, he was a very famous man. They told Abimelech, Abraham is here. And you won't believe it, his sister is with him. The Pasuk says that it was a immediate shiduch, no questions asked. It was as simple as that. Doesn't sound like they even dated. He took her and it was obvious this is the woman that he would want to be married to. Hashem came to Abimelech in a dream. And he tells him, listen Abimelech, just know 
that you're going to die. You weren't supposed to die. You were supposed to live. But you're going to die because of this woman, Al Haisha Asher Lakahta. You took this woman to be your wife. You have a death sentence on your head. She's a married woman. How do you take a married woman? Where is your values? The Pasuk says, He never even got close to her. And he says, Adonai, he tells Hashem, You tell me I have a death sentence on me? I'm a righteous man. And why am I righteous? Halohu amarli ahotihi. The husband, supposedly, he told me she's my sister. Vehi gamhi amra ahihu. She also said it's my brother. Betom levavi ubnikion kapai asiti zot. Which means my heart was complete. I had no bad intentions. My hands are clean. I didn't do anything wrong. How could you blame me? And the truth is, we hear this man loud and clear. Halakha even supports him. The halakha says that that if you have one witness, generally you need two witnesses to know if something is true or not. But to know if something is allowed or not allowed, one person, as long as they don't look suspicious or there's anything wrong with them, you could trust them. Someone tells you this food is kosher. You could trust him, as long as he's a trustworthy person. There's no reason to think he's lying. Someone tells you this is asur, this is mutan, you could trust them. That's how we eat by people's homes. We are the two Aydim. Did you see the butcher? Did you see the shohet? Did you? How are you able to eat from them? We have a rule. Ayad ehad ne'eman bi'isurin. Someone told you, I slaughtered this cow. It's kosher. You could eat it. Even though there's no witnesses. Ayad ehad. One witness. Plus, she herself says, I'm kosher. Halakha says, if a woman comes from out of town, we don't know who she is. We never met her. Maybe she's married. She says, I am not married. Halakha says, you can marry her. You trust her. Again, unless there's a circumstance that tells you otherwise, maybe today they do a lot more checking because the world got a little bit more corrupt. But halakha said, that's what we do. So this man, her husband says she's kosher. She says, I'm kosher. What, what did he do? He has a very good claim. You're telling me I have a death sentence for taking somebody's wife. What am I supposed to do? I'm completely anus, completely out of my hand. I did everything right. What does Hashem tell him? He says to him, Vayomer elav ha'elohim b'halom. Hashem answers him, Gam anuchi yadati. Hashem says, I know. I know that your intentions were good. I knew that. Notice, 
that when Avimelech spoke, he tells Hashem, my heart was complete and my hands were clean. But when Hashem talks to him and says, I know your heart was complete, but he doesn't say that your hands are clean, which means your hands are not clean. You did something very bad. What did he do? So he tells him, Ve'ata, you know, when that happened, the Pasuk reports that Hashem sent some sort of sickness to the family of Abimelech and they no longer were able to have children. A plague, some sort of, I don't know what, hit the men and the women and they no longer were able to have children because of what he did. So he tells him, Ve'ata. You want to make teshuvah? Here's the formula. Hashev eshet ha'ish. Return this woman to her husband. Listen to these words. Ki navihu. Because he's a prophet. He's a great man. Ve'yitpalel ba'adcha. And let him pray for you. Ve'chayet. And then you will live. Ve'im enecha meshiv. If you don't return this woman. Da kimot ta'ut. You will die, you and all your people that are with you. The Gemara says on this pasuk, very hard to understand. Let's review. Return this woman to her husband because he's a prophet. The Gemara says, only wives of prophets you have to return them? Let's say her husband was not a prophet. The Gemara says, if a married woman is found, you only return her to her husband because he's a prophet. A regular man, you don't give him back his wife? What is the Gemara saying? What is the Pasuk saying? What's Hashem telling him? Says the Gemara, no, no, no. There's more going on here. This is how you read the Pasuk, says the Gemara. Hashev eshet ha'ish, period. Return this woman back to her husband, no matter who he is. It doesn't matter who he is. Ki navihu, because he's a great man. That's coming to answer your claim. You said my hands are clean. Your hands are not clean. Because this man... Is a Navi. How does that affect his cleanliness? The Gemara says, Kebar Limed. He's a man teaching humanity. You've heard about him. You know what he does. He taught humanity. Achsenai Sheba Lair. A foreign guest comes to a city. What is the first conversation you have with him? He's Hazid, he's coming in, he's scared, he doesn't know what kind of people are here, he doesn't know how they're going to treat him, maybe they're like Sedom, maybe they're like, who knows what they're gonna do with him. Maybe they'll take him as a slave. It's scary walking into a town by yourself. 
Abraham had a course on how to bring guests in. This course was taught by example and perhaps even by teaching. And he taught when a guest comes to your city, the first thing you ask him is, are you hungry? Do you need something to eat? Are you thirsty? What would you like to drink? That's how you start the conversation. Not only because you need to give him food and drink. Because you need to make him feel comfortable, that you care about him. You first think about him. Give him that message very loud and clear. Make him feel at home. Make him feel like someone is worried about him. That's the first question you ask him. He says the first thing you ask, who is this woman? She's your wife? She's your sister? That's the first thing you ask a guest? Do you know what you do when you ask that question to him? You frighten the man. Why are they asking if she's my wife or my sister? That's not for me, that's for them. And that makes him very scared. No wonder he told you it's his sister. That's the way you bring guests to your country? And if you tell me, well, how am I supposed to know that? Nobody ever taught me. Navihu. There's a man in society, Abraham Avinu, who's preaching and teaching and behaving with this value and this attitude. Why didn't you learn from him? So your hands aren't clean. It could be you didn't have evil intentions, but your hands are not clean. Because you should have learned, and you didn't. The Gemara says, from here you see that ignorance isn't an excuse. Somebody asked me a few months ago, a very serious question. A young lady asked me that she learned that if a person does an avera, he does a sin. If he knows that it's wrong, then it's much worse than if they do a sin and they don't know that it's wrong. I said, correct. She says, well, according to that, isn't it better that we don't learn? <laughs> she wasn't trying to be cute, now. She was being honest. She was saying, if I don't learn, and then I do things wrong, so... Not so bad. I know I'm not perfect. I do some things not right. So I'm better. I come to classes. Every time you come to class, it gets worse for you. <laughs> That's what happens. You were ignorant last year and two years ago. And now you come to class and you learn all these things. It gets worse. So better, you don't come to class. That's what she's saying. And it's not a... It's, it's a good question. The more you learn the more you're responsible. 
You can't say anymore, in Shamayim, I didn't hear about that. Or you didn't hear about it. You heard about it. You were in class. They have the camera, videotape. So why go to classes? So the answer is, this story is the source in the Torah that teaches us that if you are capable of learning and you decide you're not going to learn, you are guilty the same. There's no difference. There is no excuse to say, well, I didn't learn. But you couldn't learn? You didn't have anyone to teach you? I think in our days today, really people don't have an excuse. You know, in the old countries, in the years back, if you were blessed with a rabbi next to you, he's your neighbor, he's in your city, you were lucky to join a class, if they had a class, for men, for women, young, old, ignorant, learned. You know, it wasn't so easy in small towns to have a menu of learning for every single person. A person could really have said, you know, I didn't have a rabbi, or I didn't have the right person. Or, you know what, think about 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. People are on boats, not knowing where they would get off to live. People are traveling by themselves. They don't know where the next stop is going to be. And they don't know anything. A lot of times people quote their grandfather, but their grandfather never learned anything. The poor man tried just to stay alive. But today, the world has allowed every person to learn. There's no excuse for anybody here, whether you go to class or you don't go, it doesn't matter. First of all, there are plenty of shiurim. There are so many books today on any subject. Nobody could say, oh, I don't know Hulchot Shabbat, I was never taught. Oh, they don't give classes on Hulchot Shabbat. There's books on Hulchot Shabbat. They're in any language you want. At least the ones that are for this crowd. They have them. Open it and learn it. You can never say, I couldn't learn. You could put on classes in your car, driving a half hour a day, an hour a day, an errand here, an errand there, an hour, two hours. There's no end to the amount of knowledge that's available to every single person that's living today. So ignorance might have been an excuse years ago. But today, ignorance is no longer an excuse. Why? You have a lot of people teaching. Abraham was teaching humanity how to treat guests. Hashem tells Abimelech, you're not innocent. You're guilty. You're not as guilty as a person who's trying to do bad. Yes, you're not on purpose trying to do bad. But your ignorance, by choice, is being held against you. And therefore, yes, you are Hayab Mita. 
you have a death sentence on your head. So go fix it. Don't tell me I was innocent. Ki navihu. This man himself taught you how to do it right. And you didn't learn. Then the story continues. Hashem tells him, okay, you want to make teshuvah? Listen to this teshuvah. Make sure you go plead with him. Make sure he's going to pray for you. And then you will live. Question is, which rule of Teshuvah is this? We have rules in Teshuvah. Person makes, does an Avera between him and Hashem. So they have to regret it. They have to admit it. They have to change their way. Teshuvah, done. Between man and man, in addition to everything I just said, you have to ask the person for forgiveness. They have to forgive you. Once they forgive you, and then you Hashem forgives you, then it's done. Those are the rules of Teshuvah. When was there a rule in Teshuvah that the person who you hurt needs to pray for you. Why is that a formula here? When did this make it into the ranks of halakha? Hashem tells him, Ve'ata, ata means, let's make teshuvah. Hashem eshet ha'ish, return her. Okay, that's a good step. Ve'yitpalil ba'atcha ve'chayen. Let him pray for you, and then everything will be fine. Why is that important? What does that have to do with him? And then we see that in fact Abraham prayed for him. Vayitpalel Abraham el ha'Elohim. Hashem prayed for Abimelech. Vayirpa Elohim et Abimelech ve'et ishto. Hashem healed Abimelech, healed his wife, ve'amhotav all the people around him. Vayeledu and they started to give birth again. Like the pasuk says, ki asor atzar Hashem be'ad kol rechem levet Abimelech, because there was a stop to any birth. In Avimelech's family. Why? Al Devar Sarah Eshet Abraham. Because of what they did to Sarah. It's a terrible thing what they did. Granted, it's a terrible thing. You finish the story, you open up the next page. Comes the Torah and says, Vadonai Pakad et Sarah Kaasher Amar. Hashem remembers Sarah and she conceives like he promised. Hashem promised that she would have a child and she conceived. Right after this story, that's what happened to Sarah. Come. Comes the Gemara and says
comes the Gemara and says, Rashi brings it. He says, what's the connection between Sarah conceiving and Abimelech's story? He says, Lelametcha, Torah wants to teach you something. The placement is coming to teach something. Shekol hamevakesh rahamim al havero. Someone who asks for his friend he, that they should have compassion on him. Someone who prays for his friend. And you need the same thing. You're praying for your friend. But you need the same thing. You get answered first. Where do we see that? Because Abraham prayed for Abimelech. Because they're having a problem having a child. And what happens? Hashem remembers Sarah and she conceives. So he's praying for Abimelech and he gets answered first. That's why these two parashiyot are next to each other. Now you have the source where we learn kol hamevakesh rahamim al habero hu ne'ena tehila. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful source but comes with one huge problem, like a very big problem. This story would be beautiful if we were missing one piece of information. But now that we are not missing it, as I'm going to reveal it to you, it's going to be a big issue. We know the Torah already told us that the angels came to Abraham Avinu and told him, Shov Ashuv Elecha, I'm going to come back to you. Ka'et Haya, Rashi says, what's Ka'et Haya? Ka'et Hazot, Leshana Haba'a, exactly this time next year, one full year, Rashi says, Upesa Haya. Yitzhak was born on Pesach. Vehine ben Sarah. Not only is she going to conceive, she's going to have a boy. So, why did Sarah conceive with a boy? Because Abraham prayed for Abimelech? Not really. He already was promised that she's going to have a baby. And you can't tell me, oh, maybe the timing would have been different. In other words, he told me have a baby. Maybe it'll be in 10 years. Maybe it'll be in, and it happened now. Can't be. Because remember, they told Abraham exact date. It wasn't, she'll have a baby one day. He told exactly when she's going to have a baby. So the time she conceived, that had to happen that way. So, what's going on here? Is it because he prayed for Abimelech? Or is it because Hashem promised him? And if Hashem promised him, why did he have to pray for Abimelech? That's a very big question on this whole story.
the Aharonim discuss this subject. I bring it to you in depth today because I think it's important to understand it. Because sometimes you hear concepts and they don't mean a lot because you don't really get them. The Aharonim explain that it's true that Hashem promised Abraham. But the way that it was going to happen is through this tefillah. What does that mean? So there are different variations of this explanation. I'm going to give you one. We know, for example, that Hashem judges us on Rosh Hashanah, sealed on Yom Kippur. So, how does that work? Meaning, if Hashem says this year, you're going to get married. Does that mean you're for sure getting married? Well, they sealed it. They said you're getting married. So, really, it depends. What if you decided that this year you're not dating? You're taking a sabbatical? This year, I'm not dating. We'll date next year. This year, I'm taking a year off. Let's say they decided this year you're going to make a lot of money. But this year you took off. You're not working. You're traveling the world. You went backpacking for the year. So will you make money? Well, they said you're going to make money. So simply the answer is, yes, they said you're going to make money if you work. You have to make your hishtadlut. You have to make your effort. The seal is based on your effort and the correct effort. If you don't make effort and you wait home for the decree of Rosh Hashanah, it's not happening. You're not going to get married if you don't try. The decree of Rosh Hashanah is based on your proper hishtadlut. You can never say, oh, it's mina shamayim. What do you mean mina shamayim? You didn't do anything. After you did your best, then you could say mina shamayim. Until then, shamayim is not relevant. Until then, you have to be involved. Here as well, we have a situation where Abraham Avinu is being promised a child. Well, he has to make hishtadut. He has to make the right hishtadut, the right effort. Now, the right effort usually is in simple things like if you want to make money, you have to go to work. If you want to get married, you have to date. So all the things usually have a formula. But then there are, we'll call them special circumstances that require a different level of ishtadlut. It's not just going to work. It's not enough. And that's when Hashem is doing something out of the ordinary for you. 
He's doing something out of the nature of this world. There, the hishtadlut is not just in making the effort, the normal effort. There's going to be an ask of you of something of greater heights. I'll give you an example of that. Very beautiful example. Maybe the most beautiful example that I can give you on this subject. We know that Abraham Avinu, on that day where he was in pain, and he so much wanted to do kindness, Hashem spared him, and made it very hot that nobody would come. But Abraham continued very much to want someone to come. Hashem saw his pain. His pain for guests was greater than his physical pain. Hashem sent him three angels to be his guests. He saw him that he wanted something so badly. And Hashem gave him that zikhut. You know, that's a big lesson, by the way, for all of us. Sometimes in life, we don't have the zikhut for something. You don't have the zikhut to give charity. Or you don't have the zikhut to learn. Or the zikhut for certain things. Hashem didn't give it to you. You see from here, that's not proper to sit back and say, well, okay, I didn't have the zikhut. I just didn't have the money. I didn't have the ability. I didn't have the rabbi. No, no, it's not like that. When you don't have zikhut, that in itself could be a kind of nisayon, a kind of challenge for you to see how badly you want something. You know, if I want something and I don't get it, okay, so I didn't get it. But if I really want something and I don't get it, I, I really try more. And if I really, really want something, I'll go even more. So sometimes when Hashem doesn't give you something, it's not because He doesn't want you to have it. He just needs to see from you just how badly you want it. We see this by Abraham. Hashem wanted to see, how badly do you want guests? I mean, I know you're a good man and you've done a lot in your life, but how badly do you want one? By the way, you should know that sometimes Hashem will make it extra difficult to do the same thing we always do, but He makes it a little difficult. He turns up the heat a little. Like for example, it's usually easy to help people, but sometimes you're gonna be asked to help somebody and it's gonna be a little hard for you, or maybe very hard. It's usually easy to wake up in the morning, but sometimes it might be a little hard. It's usually easy to go to a class, but sometimes it could be a little hard. Like this last week, we had a lot of rain. Some people didn't come to class. It was a little harder than usual. Sometimes in life, sometimes in life, you do a lot of good things, and then for the same good thing, you're going to have to pay a higher price. Now, usually what happens to us in those moments when we're being asked a higher price, usually we say, you know, I'm a good person. I can take a break. It's not a big deal. I've been doing kindness for so long. So, okay, this one, I'll take off. This Shabbat, okay, I'm not going to go. This tefillah, I'll just pray home today. It's too hard. Too much snow on the ground. I'm not going to go. 
I slept last night very late. It's, it's okay. One day, no big deal. Right? Makes sense. I always do it, right? Today I'm going to take off. But it's a big mistake. Take off on an easy day, it's better. And I'll tell you why. If I tell you, here's a person who came to Minyan every single day for the whole year. He just missed one day. Why did he miss one day? His daughter got married and he got home three in the morning and he decided he's not waking up for Tzila. Okay, we can understand it. Makes sense. His friend also had a wedding and he came. It was hard for him. He was tired. He did it. In me and you, me and you, if we had a book trying to like compare these two people, you would say, what's the difference between A and B? I think we would say, if we looked at the book, they're, they're identical. There was one difference. One day he didn't come, one day he came. We would say there's a slight difference between the two, very slight. But that's not the reality. Let me tell you what the reality is. The reality is that the measurement of the value of a person's actions are not only based on the act, but they're also based on how much they want to do it. Meaning, the charity is not only the money that you give, but how much you want to give it. And that's hard to measure. The act itself is easy to measure. It's simple. It's A plus B plus C. That's it. How much you want to do it, that's hard to measure. How do you measure that? Tefillah is not only about going to pray, but it's how much you want to pray. And everything is like that. The heart has very much to do with the value of the act, just like between people. When someone gives you a gift, it's not the gift really, it's the heart behind it. How much do they want to give me a gift? Is it just because it's my anniversary? Is it just because they know I'm going to kill them if they don't? Or do they really want to give me a gift? You know, it's hard to know that. It's hard to know. Are they doing it fully from their heart? Or is it just like, they have no choice. You don't know. It all looks nice on paper. They got the right item. They put the right smile on. They wrote the right card. Or they bought the right card. And that's it. You don't know. You can't know. From actions, you cannot know how much heart is behind it. The same with our relationship with Hashem. There's no way to know. What does Hashem do? Every once in a while, He'll make the same action a little harder. The goal of this is not for that day, the goal is to see the value of the whole year. You've been giving charity all year. Beautiful. Now, how much heart is in that charity? It's hard to know. So one day, you're going to be in a rush. You're going to have a few things on your head. And someone's going to knock on your door and say, I really need help. Could you help me? I need some food for Shabbat. Could you just give me something? Or some other example of kindness. And it's hard for you that day. Maybe you're tired. 
Maybe you're busy. You should know that moment is coming not just for the moment. That moment is coming to either elevate the entire year or bring down the entire year. How much heart, how much do you really want to do kindness? Well, let's see. Let's see when it's a little bit hard for you. Sometimes it's impossible. And you have to know when that is too. And you can't do it. I'm not saying every time you have to do something. You have to know when it's, when it's right and when it's wrong. But sometimes it's possible. You should do it. It's just a little harder for you. That's all. You're a little more tired than usual. That's all it is. And you just say, you know what? I'll take this one off. But in reality, it's not the one that got affected. The whole year got affected. Because the measurement of the heart in the entire year is now on a lower level. Because you showed how much or how little you want something. So Hashem puts us in those situations. So now bottom line, comes Abraham Abinu and he's tested. How much do you really care about people? Well, he passed the test. Through it all, he still wants. Hashem sends him as an opportunity, three angels to be his guests. Our rabbis say, why three angels? Why not one? What's wrong with one? One guest is also a guest. Also kindness. And if it's three, maybe it should be a minyan. Why three? So Hazal tell us, no, three. Because each one had a unique mission. So besides being his guest, one of them came to destroy Sodom. We're not going to discuss that one right now, why he had to come here. One came to heal Abraham. He needed a Shlema, an old man like him with a surgery like that. And one to give Sarah the new baby. So each angel can do only one job. That's why you need three angels. Angels are defined by their mission. They cannot do more than one thing. So each one came with a specific job to Abraham Avinu. That's why there were three. Which answers everything except one big question. Isn't being Abraham's guest, isn't that also a mission? The one that came to heal Abraham, what did that have to do with him being a guest by Abraham? The one that came to give Sarah a baby, what did that have to do with Abraham having a guest? Seemingly, being the guest of Abraham is its own mission. It's also a mission. Hashem says to the angel, go, be the guest of Abraham. He needs a guest. It's too hot, no humans are coming. Go for it. It's so I thought angels don't do two things. But here you have three angels. Each one is doing two things. Each one has a mission plus another mission of being Abraham's guest. I thought they can't do two things. There's a very beautiful, beautiful idea that is so relevant to all of us. So relevant that it's, it's going to be a little scary. That's how relevant it is. 
the way the angels were sent to Abraham, you know, they didn't come to Abraham. When you read the story, you realize they did not come to him. They didn't knock on his door. They just walked by. And here's a man sitting down in pain, tired, old, hot. And he sees these three Arabs walking by, strangers. He doesn't know them. Obviously, one of the thoughts in his mind would be, too many people. You know, sometimes you want to have a guest, but not 10 guests. They told you two people, and then all of a sudden, your husband came from shul, and he brought another seven. I thought it's no big deal. What means no big deal? Seven more people. So Abraham, you know, maybe one guest was good. Three. One sound in Abraham's brain is, just let him go. They're not asking you. They're not knocking in your door. Wait for another one. The other one says, come on, Abraham, get up. Just go, do it. They need you, come on. Who else can help them? And what does Abraham do? He runs after them. And the rest is history, as you know. Now let's play that scene if Abraham doesn't run after them. What would happen if Abraham decided that he's, uh, he's going to sit this one out? He'll wait till an hour later, till somebody else comes. But what happened? Well, you know what will happen? The angel that came to heal him was not going to heal him. The angel that came to give him a child was not coming. Because Hashem intertwined he connected Abraham's kindness to Abraham's salvation. He made it one and the same. It seems from this story that the angels are doing one mission. They're there to heal Abraham, but not until he steps up. Hashem in life will do this to us. He will give us opportunities to do something. And usually those opportunities might be harder than usual. It's the time you don't want to have people by you. It's the time you don't want to give charity. It's the time you're not making so much money. It's the time that you're not so in the mood to get up. Or you're not so in the mood to learn. You're not so in the mood to pray. You're not so in the mood to do that. Those moments have angels with them. There's a certain salvation with them. Could you imagine that Abraham didn't run after them? After 180, he would go to Shamayim and say, Hashem, you know, I don't, I don't understand. I was praying to heal me. Why didn't you heal me? I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. I got sick. I didn't get healed. What happened? He would say, Hashem, you know, you promised me a child. Where is this child? Never came. And Hashem would say to him, Abraham, what do you mean? I healed you. You did? I don't remember that. I gave you a child. You did? I don't remember that. And he'll say, okay, 
Let's go to the videotape. I'll put this beautiful screen on, this heavenly screen, very big. And they'll play back. And they say, Abraham, do you remember that day? So, oh, who could forget that day? Yeah. Of course I remember that day. Look at you. Do you see those three guys walking? Of course I remember that. Abraham, what happened? Those people needed you. Why did you help them? I know, I know. It was a hard day. I don't know how to explain this to you. It was a hard day. I really wanted to. I just got lazy. How many times can we say that? Oh, Hashem says, oh, look. See, in Shemayim, the video has on top of each angel what he's doing. He says, oh, there was your child. That was that guy. There's your doctor. Oh, oh, they, oh, you never went to help them? So you, you lost them. Hashem sends Yeshua through opportunities. Hishtadlut. Even when Hashem sends you a salvation, He answered your tefillah. But you still have to make Hishtadlut. You still have to go to work. You can't just say, give me money. You gotta go to work. I answered you, we gotta work. So for normal day-to-day things, maybe your normal hishtadlut is enough. But if you're asking for yeshuot, if you're asking for like crazy, like a woman 90 years old having a baby, you need some major hishtadlut. If you want this man, 100-year-old man to be healed, like, a, like an eight-day-old child, you need some major hishtadlut. Not the regular effort. Hashem sends the salvation, but it's intertwined with a difficult challenge. Something that we can handle, but a little more difficult than the normal day to day. And little do we know, listen, if we saw the signs on their head when they came, so obviously we would all rush to get there. But it doesn't work like that. You don't get to see what's on their head. You never know the person that you turned away that needed you. You never know which angel he was. You never know what he had in store for you. You're praying for something, you need something, and they'll tell you, I sent it to you. Oh, you didn't invite them? I'm sorry. Remember the inviting? They asked you to open your house for some charity. You know, you could have done that, right? Yeah, but you got lazy, right? Yeah. Okay. You lost it. Now, Hashem is very kind. I'm sure He'll give you another opportunity. I'm hoping at least that you'll get another one down the line. At the end of the day, these opportunities on a hot day, when it's hard, those opportunities have the biggest salvations. But that's your hishtadlut for something big that you're looking for. You've got to do something big too. So even when Hashem promises, that doesn't mean you just step out and let Him do His job. His promise is based on you. 
we find, by the way, another instance of this in the Torah. Very beautiful as well. If you read the story of Yosef, you see a man in the dungeon for so many years. Helpless. And we know he ended up becoming the leader of the world. And if you study the Torah, you will see that the way it happened, the way it took place, the way it happened is that he met somebody, he met two people in jail. Now he's been in jail for 10 years. They've been in jail for two, two hours. And they looked down. They looked like they were not well. They just woke up. They didn't look right. I mean, they're in jail. Not supposed to look so right in jail. But I guess they look more more not right than usual. Now, if I was Yosef, I would say, okay, you know, they should be asking me, like, how long you've been here? They're the ministers of Paro. I'm a nobody. What does Yosef do? He steps out of his comfort zone. You ever feel down and see another person down? You say, okay, they should ask me. Why do I have to go to them? I'm the one more down than them. Yosef steps out of his comfort zone and says, guys, what's wrong? Are you okay? Can I help you? Those words actually led to him becoming the most successful man in the world. Because the way the story reads is that because he asked them, they told him their dreams. They saw he interpreted beautifully. Eventually, Paro needed an interpreter. He came to interpret. And the rest is history. Could you imagine that Yosef would not have asked them, guys, how can I help you? Imagine in Shamaim when Yosef would be after 120, he'd say, Hashem, I had such dreams. I wanted to do so much in my life. I wanted to help so many people. Why didn't you give me the chance? And Hashem would say, I did. Where? Let's go to the videotape. See, remember that day in jail? See those guys? Remember what was happening in your mind? Should I ask them? Should I? Maybe they should ask me. Oh, you didn't ask them. Oh, those were your ticket. Those are the guys that were going to bring you to become the great you. But you missed it. So Hashem does that to us. Even when Hashem promises something or decrees something, it needs hishtablut. The greater the Yeshua, the greater the hishtablut. And we should always be concerned that this may be the Yeshua. Again, if it's something beyond your ability, so then you don't have to do it. You shouldn't do it. Yeah, you know, you ask advice, ask your rabbi. Of course, you can't do everything. Sometimes the right thing is not to do. Sometimes the yetzerah is to do too much. And you drain yourself and you can't be there for other important things in your life. So I'm not saying everything that comes to you is jump at it. 
But sometimes, and you and I both know, there are those times that it's a little harder, but it's possible. We just get lazy. Or we feel excused. Hashem says, you feel excused, I'm also excused. So our question was, wait a second, didn't Abraham get a promise that he's going to have a child at the exact time? And the answer is, he did. But that's some big promise. A hundred year old and a ninety year old having a child? Wow. That's a wow. For a promise like that, you need a wow too. So what Hashem did is He orchestrated a wow moment for Abraham to deliver. He made it Ra'av, hunger. Abraham needed to travel to Palestine. This is all orchestrated. This is all getting him ready. Because now it's time for Sarah to conceive. But it's not going to happen until Abraham does something very special. And Hashem sets it up for him. Where a man would take, Abimelech would take his wife from him. How horrible that is. And now, after, he needs to pray for him. Now, didn't Abraham pray for so many people before that? You don't think people before that who were having issues with having children came to Abraham to say, give me a bracha, pray for me? Don't you see how Abraham prayed for the people of Sidon? His arch rivals, the people who were from the lowest of mankind, when Hashem says, I'm going to destroy them, he's praying for them, he's pleading on their behalf as if they're own, he's his own child. You don't think Hashem prayed for Sarah all these years to have a child? That wasn't enough? That tefillah wasn't enough? The tefillah for all of his people that came for Berachot wasn't enough? Why was this tefillah the wow? Why? I mean, we we understand the whole story now. We got it. He was promised a child. He needed a moment. Hashem set it up. And the moment would be, is Abraham ready to pray for Abimelech? Is he ready to pray for somebody else who has the same problem as he does? Is he ready to step up? And he did it. And he got the child. But I'm asking you now a new question. Why was this tefillah so unique? Why was this tefillah so special? Abraham prayed his whole life for people. Again, the Torah gives us only some examples. Torah only gave us one example of his kindness. But that was his day-to-day life. Torah's not going to tell us every day what he did. It's not a newspaper, the Torah. It tells you one time and you understand on your own. This is the rule. When he prayed for Sedom, you have an understanding what kind of man this was. 
could understand how is tefillot, what they look like. Rav Kahneman, Allah Shalom, we call him the Panavich Rav. He was the founder of the great Panavich Yeshiva in Israel. He was in Europe, learning in, this, in the Yeshiva called Tells. And he writes that once he went to get a bracha from the Hafez Haim in the city of Raden. That's where the Hafez Haim was. Small city. He went to get a bracha. When he went to the Hafez Haim's house, he saw the Rebetzin. She told him, please have a seat. The rabbi is upstairs, he'll be down soon. As he's waiting for the rabbi to come down, he hears the rabbi upstairs uncontrollably crying, screaming, Philot. He tells his wife, he felt very uncomfortable. He tells his wife, you know, obviously this is not the right time. Who knows what's happening? I'll come back. I'll come back a different time. I'm not going to wait now. She tells him, no, no, no. Just wait. It, it's fine. What do you mean it's fine? You don't hear the noise up there? What's going on? What happened? She says, no. There's a man just came in. We don't really know him. He came in. His wife is giving birth. Very, very difficult situation. Very dangerous. So he asked the rabbi to pray for him. So he went upstairs to pray. The Panavaj says, at that moment, he realized that he needs to be by the Hafez Haim Yeshiva. A man who could pray like that for a stranger? And he says a few minutes later, the man came in and his wife gave birth to a healthy baby. And she was healthy. But that's not the point. He says, if I can be around this man, I need to be near. And he changed, and he went to the Yeshiva of the Hafez Haim. That's praying for another person. I don't mean praying, picking up the card and praying, but really praying. Could you imagine if the Hafez Hayim did that? Could you imagine what Abraham Abinu did? When someone came to him for tefillah? How tefillah works, how it works for another person, it's not for today, maybe next week. How the whole thing works. But could you imagine the tefillah that Abraham prayed for his wife, for others? What made this tefillah so big? He's been doing this his whole life. Why was this the setup for the great salvation? Why was this so difficult that he needed to step up and make it work? to this question I think is so relevant to all of us. There are times in life where we are mistreated. It could be from the closest family members. (coughs) It could be from strangers. It could be from very important people or not. There are times in life where we're humiliated 
where people put us in pain. It could be a neighbor that's driving us crazy. It could be someone speaking Lashon Hara about us. It could be somebody suing us and not allowing us to live a normal life. It could be someone who's taking our business away. It could be a bully that's just driving us really crazy. Can't, we can't breathe, we can't move, we're stuck. This can go on for a day, a month, a year, more. That's part of life's experiences, is that sometimes in life, people are hurting you. The Tomer Devorah says that Hashem is the greatest example of the humiliated one. The words he used to describe God is Melech Aluv, the humiliated king. Why is Hashem? Who would have ever thought that Hashem is the humiliated one? When does he get humiliated? He says, what do you mean? He's always giving, always doing good for others. He's giving people life. He's giving them energy. He's giving them everything they need to perform and live a great life. And so often, instead of using what God gave them to do the right things, they turn against God. God told them, give your money to help people. They give their money to buy guns and shoot people. The very gifts he gave them, they use it against him. And what does he do? It's humiliating. Could you imagine giving someone something and they take it? Imagine serving someone a kibbeh that you work so hard to make and they take the kibbeh, they crush it in their hand and they throw it on your face. Wow, that's humiliating. What is that? Melech Aluf. People are humiliating the Creator all day long. They take the energy, the gifts, and they throw it right back on his face, doing the very things he asked them, please don't do it. Please treat your friend nicely. What do they do? The opposite. Please keep Shabbat. No, the opposite. Please eat the right way. No, I'm not. Lafuch. This kosher restaurant, I'm not going there. Just, just because you said, whoa, ouch. What? Why are you doing that? Says the Tomer Devorah, not only is Hashem humiliated, He actually gives them the energy and the bullet to shoot Him. He could have stopped them. He could say, oh, you're going to Enoch Kosher? Okay, boom. Your legs, may they stop working right now. Done. You can't go. Ha, ha, ha. Good try. You can't do it. You don't think he could do that? Of course he could do that. But he doesn't. He keeps giving the energy. You know why he does that? Because he doesn't lose hope. Because he cares too much for his creations to give up on them. And he's willing like a great mother is willing to be humiliated for her child. No matter what that child does, no matter how embarrassing that child is to the family, 
no matter what he's doing to make her life miserable, she's willing to be humiliated and she doesn't lose hope. In fact, I once mentioned to you, Hashem takes on different names in different situations in life. The Kabbalah says, Hashem in the world of Teshuvah, when He's helping people make Teshuvah, He's called an Ima. He's called a mother. Because only a mother is able to put up with so much nonsense and so much humiliation. Father? Eh, sometimes. A father is a limit. At some point, you know what? Just get out of the house. Done. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. He's better than a regular person. But a mother can go till the end. In the most difficult experiences, a mother never gives up on her children. Melech Alu. The Torah the Baran describes this is one of the greatest characteristics of the creator of the world. This is a midah, that you are humiliated, embarrassed, stepped on. I'm not saying you should love that. And you should try to avoid being stepped on and humiliated. But sometimes there's no choice. The characteristic of the creator is to continue giving that person, not just keeping quiet. That's a great level. Me and you, if we kept quiet, we'd be angels. Imagine your friend just called you after you just got humiliated in public. And she says, how's it going? Baruch Hashem, beautiful. You'd be a big person to do that. Not to report. First of all, you'd be foolish to report. Because you're just humiliating yourself more. But that's a different story. But if you're able to control yourself, you're a great person. But Hashem does more than that. He continues to give the person. He continues to care for the person. He continues to supply the person with all the energies. And even if they use it against him, he continues. What a, what a midah. What is that? Mi el kamocha. Mi el kamocha. Who is like you? Who can do that? That's a very high level. It's easy to talk about. And it's easy to dream about. But in reality, if there's someone making your life miserable, and for me to tell you, go and make them dinner. Go and make their life easier. Go write them a nice check. Put them in their bank account. Say, Why are you crazy? There's a billion people I do that before him. That's why we say, Mi el kamocha. Who can do this? Only Hashem can do this. But guess what? Hashem wanted Abraham to do it. A regular person, I don't think me and you were expected to go that high. But we elevate ourselves, and as we get higher and higher, they'll give us bigger tasks. This salvation of Abraham and Sarah needed something very big. It needed a mi el kamocha moment. It needed a setup where Abraham and Sarah 
would be humiliated, would be abused, would be hurt, would be powerless to this powerful person who just took her. No questions, no, no discussions. And then he would be asked to pray for them. Like he's praying for his children. Not just a tefillah. Abraham didn't know he was going to get answered. Nobody ever told him. By the way, if you pray for them, just side note. You know, there's a whole question in halakha. We know, the Gemara says, if you pray for your friend, you get an answer first. But what if you do it so you can get an answer first? Does that work? You pick it up and say, oh, let me pray for you so I get an answer first. That's not so clear that it works. And it makes sense that it doesn't work. Abraham wasn't told, by the way, if you pray really good for him, you'll get a baby. He didn't know that. He was expected to pray for him a tefillah like the Hafez Hayim in his attic. For who? Not for a stranger who you don't know. For someone that just caused you so much damage and pain. And by the way, it wasn't a pain for a day and a night. For so many years, there were so many people speaking Lashonara about Yitzhak that he really came from Abimelech. They were the Letzane Hador. They were people that, ah, Abraham and Sarah married a hundred years, didn't have a child. One night she's by Abimelech, and all of a sudden she's pregnant. Oh, yeah, okay. We got it, we got it. You know, everybody's giving the click of the of the eye. We know what really happened. Letzane Hador. They spread such pain in Abraham's life. Could you imagine having your son? And they weren't saying it's not your son. I had once a story, believe it or not, that a kid found out that his father wasn't his father. You have no idea. It wasn't true. It was not true. It was not true. But he had reason to believe that based on what someone said. You have no idea what happened to this kid. You have no idea. I can't imagine. Could you imagine living Abraham and Sarah and the whole world? They're all talking about this son. It's not yours. So big was this talk that in Parashat Toledot, the Torah says, Ele Toledot Yitzhak ben Abraham. These are the children of Yitzhak, the son of Abraham. Abraham holid et Yitzhak. It says Yitzhak ben Abraham, no? Son of Abraham. That means his father is Abraham. Why does it say Abraham holid Yitzhak? So she says over there, because there was so much talk that the creator of the world actually had to make Yitzhak look like Abraham. So that everyone would see Abraham holid Yitzhak. So it wasn't a pain for a day. He was living with the pain as he's praying for him. He's living with the pain of his wife taken from him. And all the repercussions that will come from it. That's called mi'el kamocha. Wow. You're able to pray with all your heart, not from a piece of paper, from, a, from your heart. 
with tears for the people that cause you so much pain. People that are causing you pain as you're praying. And you're in tears for their Yeshua. It's a big ask. But it's an ask that's necessary to create Yeshua. Hashem promised them he'd have a baby, but he needs to make Hishtadut. And for that kind of baby, he needs some major Hishtadut. What an unbelievable story. And how relevant is that story? How relevant to everybody's life. There's nobody that doesn't have an enemy. Or at least someone who he perceives as an enemy. There's nobody that's not being abused, stepped on, humiliated. It doesn't matter who you are. How The more rich, the more humiliated. The more popular, the more humiliated. There's no, there's no rules in this. It can happen to everybody, and it does happen to everybody. The great people, they take this situation and make it an opportunity. An opportunity to pray for those who are hurting you as they hurt you. You shouldn't pray for their success to hurt you. Pray for they for what they need. And even if you need the same thing. You know, what happened here is an extra super prayer. The words of the Gemara, listen to these beautiful words. The words of the Gemara is Kol Hamebakesh Rahamim. I hope you're with me, stay with me. Kol Hamebakesh. Rahamim al Havero. Anyone who asks for compassion for his friend, Vehu Tsarich Le Davar, and he needs the same thing, he gets answered first. But some explain, Vehu Tsarich Le Davar. He needs the exact one. You see, by Abraham, it would be much better for him if they weren't able to give birth. Because when they're not able to give birth, the Lashon Hara on him stops. It would be much better that Abimelech and his entire family become the people that don't have children. And now, no one could say Yitzhak came from them. They haven't had a child in years. When he prays for him to have a child, he doesn't want him to have a child. It's bad for him to have a child. He needs him not to have a child. That's a prayer. That's a tefillah. That is so powerful. And that's something within all of our capabilities. You don't need to be rich for this. 
You don't need to be talented. You need to be me el kamocha. You need to look at Hashem and say, I'm going to be like you. I am going to pray. I'm going to avoid abuse. I'm going to try to figure out how not to be abused or not to be humiliated. It's not a mitzvah to be humiliated. But given the circumstance, I'm turning to you to pray for that person with a real tefillah. That's the hishtadlut that Abraham had to make. And that's where we find tremendous yeshuot. You know, in the in the Kodesh Kodashim, in the Holy of Holies, we have the Aaron, the Holy Aaron, the Ark that has in it the tablets and the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. What's on top? You have the Kerubim. What are the Kerubim doing? The Pasuk says, Porese Kenafayim Lema'ala. The Kerubim, these cherubs on top of the Aaron, these figure like these children, their hands are, their, their wings are towards Shamayim. What, what does that mean, their wings are towards Shamayim? What are they doing? Like it, they're praying. Like it says, Efros et, Moshe told Paro, Efros et kapai el Hashem. I will raise my hands to Hashem. What are the Kerubim doing on top of the Aaron? They're praying. But look at the Pasuk says, Ufnehem ish el ahiv. Who are they praying for? For each other. Ufnehem ish el ahiv. They have their hands raised, but they're not even praying for themselves. They're praying for somebody else. That's the story on top of the Aaron. And that's what Esther tapped into when she was asked for a very big salvation. She told Mordechai, okay, I'll go. I'll go in front of the king. But I need something from you and from all these people. Vetsumu alai. You should fast for me. The question is, are we fasting for Esther? she now the real issue here? There's a whole nation that's at risk of being demolished and destroyed. And our tefillah in the days of Esther is to pray for Esther, not praying for Klal Yisrael. And then she says, Gam ani arotai, also me and my girls, atsum ken, I will also fast that way. How many ways is there to fast? Fasting means you don't eat and you don't drink. That's what it means. So what do I mean? I will fast the same. Imagine someone tells you, did you fast on Kippur? Yes, I fasted the same. What do I mean the same? How many ways is there to fast? You don't eat, you don't drink. You're fasting, that's it, there's nothing else. What does she mean? I also will fast like that. Some explained beautifully that she was telling Mordechai, you tell them to pray for me. Tzumu alai. And I'm going to pray for them. Asum ken. 
the way they did for me, I'm going to do it for them. Like the Kiruvim, prayer for somebody else seems to be even more powerful than praying for yourself. Uh, let's pray for each other. I think that's enough for today. Bottom line is, bottom line is, bottom line is, we explored today. What does it mean? What does it mean when you have a da'aga, you have a worry in your life, and you need a salvation? You, you can't. It's too much for you. You can't handle all the head aches that you have, all the worries that you have. All the anxiety you have. You need the Yeshua. It's a big pain. Pray for others. Especially the people that are not on your great, not, not your A-list. Those are the people that to find in your heart to pray for them. That you should be like Hashem. Mi el kamocha. And Hashem, that will be your hishtadlut for your salvation. Because living a life with the Aga is a very hard life. The salvation could be in that tefillah for another person. Baruch Amen Amen.